and welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly on leadership podcast series. My name is Scott Miller and I'm honored and privileged each week to serve as your host and moderator. On Leadership is now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast globally, where we reach millions of people each week, either by audio or video or both. And we try to feature, highlight a different insight, point of view, expertise from someone from any wide variety of walks of life. We've had former governors and ambassadors. We have Pulitzer Prize winning authors, four-star generals, entrepreneurs, billionaires, millionaires, and people with a side hustle that just have a lesson they've learned through deliberate practice, skill sets, tool sets, mindsets. Sometimes it's a Franklin Covey thought leader, all designed to invest in your leadership capability as a formal or informal leader in your day job, or perhaps as a role in your personal life as a partner, a spouse, a parent, a brother-in-law, a neighbor, or a community citizen, just trying to make the world a better place through your own leadership contribution. Today, we have with us Tim Shriver, who, as you may know, is a very famous name in American service and American politics, the family, of course, from the Shriver and Kennedy families who have served this country selflessly for decades. Tim Shriver is one of the co-collaborators on a new project and book called The Call to Unite, Voices of Hope and Awakening. Tim Shriver, welcome to On Leadership. What a thrill. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great uh, thrill to talk to you and to talk to your audience and to be part of uh, the leadership uh, vein, the leadership river that this organization that you have built over the years, Stephen Covey, obviously at the beginning, reminding us that there are ways we can learn to practice new skills, new gifts, new qualities uh, that can help us not just lead, as you say, in work or in, in, in the community, but also in our personal lives and in our families. I'm really honored to be with you. Nicely said, Tim. Off camera, you were apologizing for your lack of a better set behind you, but today is a special day in your family. Describe where and why you are I, sitting I, where I, you I, are. Sorry. I, I'm glad you give me the chance to apologize for my backdrop. I, ha I brought two books with me, but I'm on the road. My son and daughter-in-law delivered a beautiful baby girl last night. So I'm in a beautiful Marriott hotel here in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, just uh, over the moon that my wife and I have a granddaughter, uh, but we don't have the best lighting uh, in the world, but I hope people will excuse me for, uh, for not having a, a perfect set. We've got now a perfect grandchild and that's, uh, that's pretty pretty amazing. Well, the famous Kennedy smile and Shriver hair will make up for all of that for your background today. So we are I wish. we're I honored wish. we're honored that you're here. Hey, Tim, a little bit of context for those who may not recognize you immediately. I mean, you hail from a pretty significant family in terms of their philanthropy, their contribution to America. Of course, your father being Sergeant Shriver, known for many contributions, including as a candidate for the vice presidency several decades ago. He was one of the founding forces behind uh, many organizations, um, so, so many, including uh, the Peace Corps, your mother, of course, Eunice Shriver, the founder of Special Olympics. You yourself serve as the chair of Special Olympics. Would you take a few moments and reorient some of the contributions? Check your humility that your family has played and maybe talk a bit about some of your own history before we talk about the book and the project. Well, thanks for asking. I mean, I'm very proud of my family. My parents' generation, in a special way, uh, is known for obviously my uncles, President Kennedy, my uncle Bobby Kennedy, and my uncle Ted Kennedy, who served extraordinary careers in political life. 
But you mentioned my dad, who was the founding director of the Peace Corps and the founding mind and energy behind organizations like Head Start and the Job Corps and my mom's work and uh, her whole life uh, on behalf of people with intellectual disability, the founder of the Special Olympics movement and other related supports to change legislation, support moms and dads, communities. So in my family, I grew up and, you know, people say, well, what was the one lesson? And in some ways people would say, well, it's service to the country. In others might say, you know, looking out for the little guy or looking out for those who don't have a voice. But in another way, and I'm not just saying this because of the book, a lot of that work is about healing division. I saw so much division as a child, you know, growing up in the 60s, the division around race, the divisions around disability, even people with intellectual disabilities when I was a kid, there were almost a quarter of a million people in institutions behind concrete walls for their whole lives, having done nothing other than be born. So division was and is a source of great pain. And Tony Robbins in our book says, uh, separation equals suffering. My family, I'm very proud to say, when we've been at our best, and still my brothers and my sister uh, in very powerful ways, we, we were trained to see beyond division, to try to heal it. And when we saw separation to try to bring people together, and when we saw the pain, even the separation of, of death and grief, to try to console and be supportive to one another. Uh, this is work that I am super proud to be uh, a part of the legacy of. I've played in, in most respects a much, much smaller role than my parents' generation, but it's been a privilege to be a part of the Special Olympics movement for 20 years. You want, to, you want le lessons on leadership. I mean, my God, I have had, outside of Franklin Covey, the best training in the world from the athletes of Special Olympics and their families. Tim, thank you for the plug. You mentioned your sister, of course, the famed journalist, author, and I believe now even publisher, Maria Shriver, known to many. My publisher. This is the That's first right. book of her imprint. That's right. She's uh, launched a new imprint called The Open Field, drawn from the famous mystic Rumi. Uh, I'll meet you at the open field, a place beyond wrongdoing and right doing. Maybe that doesn't, does that sound like leadership? It actually is. So I'm super proud. Maria's writes the epilogue to this book, uh, pub, is the publisher of the book. And it gave us in COVID, one of, the, one of the small blessings of COVID was that we got for the first time really to work on a project together for the better part of a year. And uh, I couldn't have asked for uh, a better partner and a better best friend than my sister. Arguably one of the most abundant people in the nation. Uh, Tim, let's talk about the book. Uh, you are a co-editor, co-collaborator. We'll talk about the collection of stories and the purpose of the book in a moment here. But the book really flows from a bigger project, this idea around the call to unite. Will you maybe rewind for our viewers and listeners how this initiative came together? It's both been some television programming and is a movement now. Talk us through that and we'll talk a little bit about some of the collection of insights and stories that have come now from the book that has just been released in the last several weeks. So it's a, it's a kind of an old story in a way. We were, as a country, uh, as a planet, uh, bleeding division a year ago, worried about the future of our respective countries, our international agreements in the United States, the, stability of our democracy, would one side prevail or the other side prevail? And if one did, could we hold together? If the other did, would, the, would one try to split apart? And then came you know, the pandemic and then came COVID. 
And it struck me and it struck many of the leaders I know that this was going to be the thing that brought us together because it was so obvious to any leader that you can't solve this problem if you're fighting. And what happened? People started fighting. And our political voices, and in many respects, not all, but in many respects, our media voices just kept at the outrage and hatred industrial complex. And our little team was like, oh my God, we can't let this happen. Let's call people up and say, answer a different call. Tell us how we can unite. And at the beginning, it was just a few phone calls, but then some really influential people said, yeah, let's do this. Oprah said yes. President Bush said yes. You know, Amy Grant said yes. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert said yes. Julia Roberts said yes. And before you knew it, we had a global 25 hours of video, everything from Special Olympics athletes and people who are drawing out the lessons from solitary confinement, having been in prison, homeless women sharing their stories, uh, and some of the most uh, esteemed scholars in the world uh, who have mediated conflicts uh, in places like South Africa or Northern Ireland where war has ended and peace has, in, has begun, uh, the people from those places said, yes, this is the time to teach the lessons of uniting. So it started with a show, then we started writing about it, and then you know the presidential race uh, moved along and both sides started saying, we wanna be the uniters, and then President Biden won and people started saying, we don't wanna be uniters. Uh, we don't like uniting because uniting means abandoning our principles. It doesn't. That's not what uniting means. But at that point, we felt like these contributions and, and these people needed a book, a, a companion. You know, some, a show is wonderful, but a, a book is something you can have at your bedside table. It's a gift you can give to someone who's been on the other side of a divide. Um, and it's the kind of thing, if you're struggling, you open to any one page and you'll find Jay Shetty or Simon Sinek. You'll find Jewel or uh, Sean Combs, P D Diddy Combs. You know, people you might not think of as leadership coaches, but I promise, I almost try to say it's a money back guarantee. Open to one or two pages, and if you don't find something that will move your heart and challenge mm -hmm. the way you're thinking about your future, uh, I give you the money back guarantee. Tim, the book really is a compilation of, I think maybe just nearly a hundred or over a hundred different stories, insights, learning, from a variety of people that you just mentioned. And in a different conversation prior to this interview, you mentioned to me the book is really a leadership manual. And I think that is an accurate statement. Describe in what case, in what situation do you think this book can serve as a leadership manual to its readers? Well, you know, when I talk to leaders and in the leadership roles I've been blessed to have in my life, the challenge is always how do you bring people together behind a goal? behind a target, behind a mission, behind values? How do, you, how do you align a team so that we all head in the same direction? Now, that's the opposite of what you hear about our country right now and many other countries. So the people here, some of what they're saying is about strengthening your inner and self-compassion. Is that a leadership skill? You bet, because if you can't be compassionate with yourself, you can't understand and be compassionate with others and you can't build a team. Some of the contributions in this book are much more about how to listen to those who are different. You know, we've heard this from companies all over the world in my work with Special Olympics. The HR directors come to us and say what they like about Special Olympics is it teaches their employees how to cross divides. That's in this book. 
real practical how to's, how to listen to someone who's different, not give up your principles, but deepen your wisdom. And the third thing that's in this book that I think is very important for leaders is how to shape a call to action. What are the ways in which together, across divides, with compassion, we can mobilize toward a goal? Now, if you take those three things, a little bit of inner work, a little bit of relational work, and a strong target, uh, and you can mo mobilize those in your own life, you know, what we heard from Donna Hicks, she'd worked with people who, uh, who had been formerly enemy combatants, whose families had been killed by one another. So these are real pained conversations. And she taught them the principles of dignity, that no matter what your disagreements are, you cannot and should not violate the dignity of the other because the dignity of the other is something that is given. And after working over months and years with these people, they would come back to her and say the dignity work not only helped save their country, but often they would say, saved my family, saved my marriage. So, some of this is leadership on the grand scale, but some of it is just the basics of leadership, emotional leadership, relational leadership, task leadership, all wrapped in a ribbon that you can use. You know, in this book, I hope people will be buying it in 10 years. I'm not saying that because it's mine. It's not mine, I just edited it. Uh, I'm saying it because the wisdom is so strong here and the vision for what we can become so powerful that I think people will trust uh, all these good friends that you haven't met yet to be your, your companion in leadership for a long time to come. Tim, I think one of the greatest contributions that connectors like yourself can provide readers and listeners is access to influential minds, right? Powerful people, people who are in a position that have a bully pulpit that can share with others that may have less of a voice or less of a, an audience to pull them together and to unite their voices and provide that information. I think the book does that. It's a beautiful compilation of people across the broad political landscape, right? And this is, book is not a, a left book. It's not a right book. It's a book about really uniting in the midst of unprecedented change and challenge in this pandemic. There are heartwarming stories. There are sobering stories. There are inspirational stories. I think one of my favorite um, contributions comes from um, Eckhart Tolle. And his chapter, if you will, his passage is called Awakening Comes When Chaos Breaks In. I'm going I'm to feed you a, a couple of thoughts and ask you if you'll maybe um, riff on those. Eckhart Tolle, of course, is a best-selling author, renowned sort of spiritual advisor to countless millions around the world. He writes that um, when order is in your life, you are able to think positively. You're able to create. You have structure. We all want to live in an ordered universe where everything is working as it should. But we tend to forget there is not just order in this world. There is the other polarity, which we could call disorder, disruption, even chaos. This is our life the last year. And it says, and disorder is necessary. Real inner growth comes usually when um, things are not going well. That's not where awakening happens. Awakening comes when chaos breaks into your life, when you're out of your comfort zone. Now, those are great words on a page. Take us further than that. I mean, all of us, everyone listening, viewing today has had their world rocked in the last year, some much more severely. I mean, at Franklin Covey, one of our members of the board of director succumbed to COVID. 
Um, yeah. One of our dear colleagues' brother succumbed to COVID. We've had several of our own associates intubated in the hospital. They recovered. Uh, we've lost very few, if any, jobs at Franklin Covey due to the commitment of our leadership and CEO. We're a big family globally, but um, all of us are now trying to thrive in chaos. How do we do that? Well, I think Eckhart Toys has tough medicine for us, right? The, no one looks for disorder. I think what he's trying to remind us is that when it comes, uh, don't waste it. Uh, let it challenge you to find the part of you that you have maybe missed because you've been in a stable situation, if we can ever be in stable situations anymore. You know, it's related in a way to what T.D. Jakes, what Bishop T.D. Jakes says in the, in the book. He said, pain always leaves a gift. He doesn't say pain is a gift. He says it leaves one behind. I think that's what Eckhart is teaching here, that uh, I think one of the big questions for right now is what has the pandemic taught you? I've asked everybody that. You can't believe the beautiful answers I get. Almost everyone reminding, uh, almost universally saying something about what they've learned about themselves and their families. Now, I think that's what Eckhart's saying. In chaos, when the boundaries are broken, when you can't know what to expect next, you start to maybe find what you really need most. And maybe you thought you needed that Starbucks every day, or maybe you thought you needed that parking place at work, or maybe you thought you needed that particular desk at the office. And now you realize, man, I didn't need that. Goodness gracious, that wasn't essential to my life. Here's what's essential to my life, being present wherever I am, not looking ahead too quickly to the future. Here's what's essential to my life, making sure every day that my relationship with my spouse or my child is strong, just having that extra minute or two that the, that the pandemic might have given us. Here's what's essential to my life, my faith, my willingness to use it when others suffer. You mentioned people in your organization losing their lives and being scared through the pandemic and with serious illness. One of the things that uh, comes out in the book is that when we're suffering, it makes an enormous difference if others are willing to suffer with us, to share in the pain. Mm. Now, these are lessons you know, you don't learn if you're just going through the motions. So I think what Eckhart is saying is the reorder, you know, there's, there's, there's order, there's disorder, but now the next question is what's the reorder gonna look like? How do we reassemble the pieces of what we had that we still need, but some parts of the new that we must carry forward? So don't waste a crisis, don't waste chaos. Don't waste disorder, I think is the message for all of us. And the writers in the book show you very, very practically how they're trying to in these moments of struggle and pain to tell their story more clearly. I mean, I don't mean to keep going on, but Danielle Schmall in the book, she's a nurse. She writes from the midst of the pandemic, you know, people in the ER, people intubated, people on ventilators, and then people dying one after the other alone, no family. And on her way home that night, she can't go home. She has to go in an Uber to a hotel because the, the virus is spreading so toxically. She bursts into tears. She can't control the tears. And she says to the Uber driver, I don't think people understand what we're going through. And the driver responded to her, how can we if you don't tell us? That night, she told her story. And millions of people responded with support and affirmation. So 
in this moment of pain, she found a new level of strength to share who she was at her most vulnerable and found herself loved and cared for and supported by tens of thousands, if not millions of people. It's these kinds of lessons that Eckhart, I think, is trying to remind us. Don't just try to forget this chaos. Use it supplely, if you will, within you and between you to become different when we come out. And hopefully, we all hope, a little more joyful and a little more focused on the justice and compassion we need for others. Tim, independent of the, the carnage that the pandemic has left across the world, you just shared an invaluable leadership competency, a leadership insight, and that is when people are suffering, you need to suffer along with them. That can be a helpful tool. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think as leaders, we're taught to fix things. We're taught to wrap it up, clean it up, solve it, and move on. And what you kind of offered us is whether the person that works with you or for you, your colleague, is suffering because of something pandemic-related or not. This builds empathy in all leaders. Can you maybe take that concept a bit further, why it's important to suffer with others? It's so interesting that you picked that up. You know, Chef Jose Andres is in the book and he talks about needing and wanting to be part of an empathy explosion. Empathy is not the same, you've already pointed this out very clearly, is not the same as fix it. And many people in leadership positions are trained to solve problems for other people or tell other people what to do. Great gift, don't get me wrong. Uh, It's needed in organizations, big and small, it's needed in families. But there's another gift, and you got to know when to code switch on this one. Sometimes people don't need you to solve their problem. They need you to understand yeah. them. And that's when you have to tune out of your problem-solving mind and into your empathy, your listening mind. Dr. Rita Walker gives very good advice on this. Nice little how-to. Practice ABCs when you're in this mode, in the empathy mode, in the solidarity mode. Assume you can help, A. B. Be a good listener, and we all know what that means. It means not trying to argue or trying to one-up the person, just letting the person know you're hearing them. That's B, and C, the hard one, cancel judgment. Now, so many times people will say, oh, you're just dealing with, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be sad. Wait a minute, I shouldn't be sad. Why shouldn't I? You know, already we're in tension. But if I'm sad and I'm sharing it with you, you don't judge me. You just let me know you hear me. Oh, thank you. The relationship strengthens, the healing begins, and an opening to a much more productive future is possible. So, you know, some of these things we've heard over and over again in leadership training over over many generations, but some of them are quite new to this moment. And I think this little companion, this book, for HR folks, for people who want the chance to move up the leadership ladder in their various organizations and, and, and walks of life. And, and sometimes just for people who are struggling, you know, this is a nice gift, especially I think someone told me the other day, they'd given it to someone who they'd broken off a relationship with as a way of saying, here's a toolkit for maybe you and I to someday have a common conversation again and maybe rebuild. I think this, this point you're making here, this solidarity, not in fighting about what we don't agree on, but just being present and supportive to one another in our struggles is a, is a good place to start. 
Hey, Tim, if this Shriver-Kennedy connection you claim to have doesn't pan out for you, Franklin Covey has a spot for you as a leadership consultant. I, I am so into it. I'm so into it. You know, I learned all this from the athletes of Special Olympics. I mean, honestly, this whole book is a tribute to them in some ways. Yeah. You know, there's so much we can learn in unlikely places about what leadership is all about, yeah. what inclusion is about, and what the future uh, that our post-COVID world, hopefully very soon, will be about. I, I, I'm... I'm bullish, you know, the world looks uh, through one lens, uh, 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 very grim, a very divided, very toxic, very hostile, very unjust. It is all those things in some respects, but it is also hungering for hope and awakening and unity. And I'm betting on that. Well, I think it's fair to say that globally, if the pandemic has offered anything as a silver lining, and that's not said lightly, right, to the, I use the word carnage that's taken place, I think all of us, are reassessing our values and what's important to us. I was on the phone yesterday with um, a Jordanian who lives in Kuwait, and he was prepping me for a keynote I'm giving in Saudi Arabia. And he was talking about the, the shift in values in the Middle East of his clients and his yeah. families and friends. It's a universal gift in many ways that those of us who have been fortunate to survive can find. Uh, Tim, you mentioned T.D. Jakes and Oprah and Julia Roberts and P. Diddy and Jewel and Amy Grant and Van Jones and so many others, hundreds of, of people that have contributed, Sir Ken Robinson, Naomi, Judd and others. What are one or two of your favorite contributions? Um, I know our time it's is so tight. Hard you like to, to you like to expand that, on you know. It's so hard to answer that. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I've been talking to some of the contributors to the book, and whatever is most recent feels like most powerful. Right. I got a chance to talk yesterday for an hour to Bishop Jakes. It was amazing. The day before, I was talking to Jewel. Uh, she was amazing. You know, I've talked offline to Oprah. She has this beautiful selection about a country having an inner life and inviting us to see. And, you know, companies have inner lives. Uh, look at the inner life of your whole organization, not just of your own. Try to intuit where the pain points are in the inner life of your entire ecosystem, your environment. Beautiful teachings. I, you know, I'd have to say Amy Grant's meditation is one of my favorites. She, she shares it quite vulnerably. She even says, I was scared to share this because I thought people might make fun of me, but she's taken the chance anyway. It's a meditation she's used her whole life. I, I won't try to do it for you right now, but I, I, you know, I, it's one of those one pagers that guarantees and pays for the whole book if you're if you're if you're interested in getting it. Um, you know, I think some of the people you haven't heard of, Lawrence Bartley, who tells the lessons he learned in solitary confinement when he was in prison. He writes letters to people. He apologizes to, to people. He sends love to people. He becomes a writer. He gets his degree. He starts a newspaper. He writes a book. Why? Because in that moment of solitude quiet, at his wit's end, with nowhere to go, he looked inward and found his gift. Just what Bishop Jake says, don't miss the gift of the pain. Um, so, I, you know, I can't really, I could just go on and on. Loretta Claiborne, a Special Olympics athlete, is a beautiful selection. You mentioned Julia Roberts talking about reading to children. It's a lot of ways we can all act in this book. Uh, and that's why, in some ways, it's a book about everything. Uh, which, you know, maybe is a recipe for not making it quite clear, as clear as it should be. But I think sometimes we need our companions to help us wherever we are. And this book, you, you open on any given page. And yeah. I, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm, like I'm bragging. I'm not. These are things that just 
come out of the blue. You mentioned Eckhart Tolle, Simon Sinek's selection is beautiful. The list goes on and on. It's a, it's a wonderful companion. And I, 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 I trumpet it because I want to say how grateful I am to all those who contributed. Yeah. Um, nobody got paid. Uh, all the money goes to charity. Nobody asked for a penny for their fee. Uh, everyone gave freely from their hearts with the hope that those in leadership positions, which is all of us, might find in these words strength for the, for the road ahead. Tim, let's conclude by revisiting a theme we opened with, which is the book, The Call to Unite, is a leadership manual. You mentioned Simon Sinek. I want to uh, uh, recap a bit of his uh, contribution. Of course, Simon Sinek, the author of multiple books, including um, Start With Why and The Infinite Game. He writes that, and this again is not news to anyone, right? This is just one of those concepts that we need to hear as leaders and our families and our communities and our companies over and over again. Human beings are not strong by ourselves. We cannot lift heavy weights by ourselves. We cannot solve complex problems by ourselves, but in groups surrounded by people who share our values and beliefs, we are remarkable. Now, that's a lovely thought and it's a true thought. But when he writes something interesting is that, but in groups surrounded by people who share our values and beliefs, we are remarkable. I, you know, there are a lot of people that I don't share the same values and beliefs with. And I think more times than ever now, and at least in the U.S., we're a divided nation and we all want to be united, I think, in theory. What, what, what advice would you give us as a, a father and a, a CEO and as a member of a very prominent family who's given selflessly for decades to our nation? How do you unite with people who you don't share beliefs and values with. What, what's well, the commonality? commonality? I, I think Simon, Simon writes beautifully there, but he also writes in the same selection and in other places about the power of someone accompanying him. He writes uh, very beautifully and speaks beautifully about being choked up and not being able to deliver at a moment when he was presenting in a military context about his insights about the death and destruction uh, of the war in Afghanistan, and he remembers the general saying to him, we're with you. Not take your time, not don't worry, uh, you're going to be okay, but we're with you. There are moments when across many divides of values and beliefs, and I'm not saying we don't have them, and I'm certainly not saying we won't, we'll stop having uh, differences of opinion. We should have differences of opinion. Uniting is not about ending differences of opinion. It's about adding one more opinion to your toolkit, and that is the opinion of dignity and, and support for the other person's dignity. Now, in that moment Simon describes, he may not have had all the same principles and beliefs as those generals in the room. Maybe he did, I don't know. But what he did have was a sense in which they cared and were there for him. And with that, anything can happen. All of our beliefs and all of our principles now become open pathways to communication and hopefully to change. We don't change people by condemning them. We don't change people by contempt and outrage and hatred. We change people, we release people to change by giving them their dignity and letting them know it's safe to change. Every good leader knows that. You wanna make sure your employee doesn't change, your colleague doesn't change, put them in a corner. That's what we're doing culturally finding people we disagree with and stick them in the corner and then throw everything we got at them. That's not gonna change people. 
So differences exist, but the pathway to healing and transformation and team building, which is what we need to solve big problems, what leaders need to solve big problems, that pathway has to be different than the one we've used in the past. And you know, you've got a lot of books behind you and they're all wonderful, I'm sure. The beauty of this book is that it assembles for you across multiple different perspectives, the snippets and insights from many different people. Some you may need today, some tomorrow, some months and years from now, they're here for you as friends you might not know, but are ready to help in your moment of need. Tim Shriver, new grandfather, brother to the new publisher and less famous sister, Maria Shriver, and co-collaborator and editor on the new book, The Call to Unite, Voices of Hope and Awakening. Thank you for joining us. Get back to your son and daughter-in-law and new grandbaby, and we wish you the best of success on launching the book and and really this this campaign, right? This momentum of letting us all be a little more patient. Encourage people to come to Unite.us, and I hope we can continue to collaborate with you folks uh, and the extraordinary work you do to help us all become leaders uh, in our own lives and in our own walks of life. Thank you. Tim Shriver, thank you for your time. And thank you, uh, in Tim's words, it is a leadership manual, the call to unite. Pick up a copy and follow Tim on the social platforms as well. And we will see you back here next week for a new guest on leadership. (laughs) 